And now, The Mentors, one of the most popular and unique shows on the radio today. Each week, one of our four remarkable CEOs, including Tom Lord, John Phillips, and Rick Brutico, will challenge your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their success and for consistently putting people first, treating employees and customers with respect, and helping others succeed, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Now, here's your mentor. Welcome. I'm Tom Laurie, and I will be your host today. Thank you for joining us. We have a leadership vacuum today. There are those who claim to be leaders, but many are in name only. What has become of the inspirational, authentic leaders that we fo- that are focused on making the world a better place, not for themselves, but for everyone? Today, we will be talking with someone, Bill George, who's trying to fill the vacuum by challenging Gen Xers to millennials to become authentic leaders with a focus on creating a better world for all. And this will be a show for all who aspire to leadership. Bill is the former chairman and CEO of Medtronic. He did something that was unheard of. He voluntarily left his job as CEO of Medtronics, fulfilling a promise made years earlier that he would step down after 10 years. Unheard of then, unheard of today. During his tenure, he and his team transformed Medtronic, a medium-sized company focused initially on pacemakers into a global medical technology giant that it is today. In 2007, he rocked the business world again with his groundbreaking book, Discover Your True North, which provided the true direction one should take if they sought to be an authentic leader. Originally based on first-person interviews with 125 leaders, this book instantly became a must-read business classic when it was introduced and helps everyone to navigate their own path to success. So first of all, Bill, thank you very much for joining us today. I believe you're in Minneapolis, not not in Boston, but uh, it looks like it may be snowing out there. But it's good to see you again. Um, let's get started. And my first question is, you know, you did True North and you've got several sequels to that. And now you've got a new book. What was the intent of the new book? First of all, Tom, I'm thrilled to be on your show. And I love the title Mentors because I think we all need to be mentors. Uh, and mentoring is a two-way street. We can talk more about that later. But uh, I wrote my new book, the Emerging Leader Edition of True North, because I think we're going we need to go through a massive generational change from the baby boomers uh, to the uh, Gen Xers, the millennials and Gen Z. And we need to move from command and control leadership to authentic leaders that are really making a difference in the world, that are committed to a deep sense of purpose and lead uh, authentically with a commitment to their values. So you've got a lot packed into the book, and we're going to cover some of the topics. There's some that really resonated with me, but you've got quite a CV or bio. And what is it that you would want my audience to know about you? <laughs> well, I would say uh, I'm I'm the guy that uh, always tried too hard to become a leader, but finally had some amazing opportunities. And now uh, the purpose in my life, actually, the thread that goes all the way back to college is that my commitment is to work with other people to enable them to reach their full potential as leaders. So I've spent a lot of time coaching and mentoring uh, younger leaders throughout my lifetime, uh, and I'm still more committed than ever to seeing this happen. And in your journey in the beginning, 
who was it that believed in you? I mean, we all have people along the way that believed in us. And who was that for you? And how did they show it? I've had a lot of people that opened the door to me. I remember one in particular, Dean Leslie Rollins at Harvard, uh, who uh, was able to uh, get me a scholarship to go there because I was heading in a different direction. But more importantly, he became my mentor when I was at Harvard Business School. And he took a, a young engineer and kind of opened the world up to me into what was possible, what I could do, and how I could have a significant impact uh, in my leadership. And I'm an engineer also, and it's uh, near and dear to my heart when I talk to another engineer. And I'm always, and I, I as a avocation, I sit on the Dean's Council at UCSD. And uh, one of the questions, what is it about the engineering education that helped you along the way? What was the how did you apply it? Well, I've never seen a problem I couldn't ask good questions about. A lot of them I don't have solutions to, but I think it gave me the confidence to take on really tough technical problems and to bring people around the table who could solve them. Again, I'm not the one that was the inventor. I'm not the one that even solved the problems, uh, but my uh, ability was to ask the question to get to the root cause of the problem. And I think that's one thing we learned to do as engineers, not to make a Band-Aid solution, uh, kind of like Boeing did with the uh, 737 MAX, but to get to the heart of the matter. And that I learned that at Georgia Tech, and I continued it in my years in graduate school. And I've been in every job I've ever had has been in the high tech industry. And I tried to apply that uh, with uh, people uh, that help them become uh, problem solvers and better leaders. Well, that's great. I agree with you 100 uh, percent. And I'm just grateful I went into engineering. Uh now, in your book, you've got three parts of the book. First part is looking inward. Second part talks about using the compass and then uh, shift to the out, uh, to looking outward in the third part of the book. Now, looking inward is an area that's a hot button for me in terms of reflection uh, and understanding ourselves. Uh, you talk a lot about, or you talk in the beginning of the book about framing, uh, telling our story. Uh, could you talk about the importance of that? Well, Tom, the hardest person you'll ever have to lead is yourself. And I see a lot of young people go out and try to solve other people's problems and try to become leaders before they really learn about themselves, who they are. And I think you only learn that through understanding your life story, the tough times you went through, which we call crucibles, and gaining a sense of self-awareness about uh, your strengths, your weaknesses, and your motivations. And all these things you have to do, you have to make that inner journey uh, to become a leader yourself before you can take the outer journey to leading other people. So when we did the uh, prep, I told you I'd been leading a ministry out here for people that lost their jobs. And one of the first steps uh, that we encourage them is to look inward also. So, uh, but what is it? We, we recommend some tools, but they can't do it alone. Uh, what do you recommend? Well, I think the first thing you should do is chart out your path of life. Uh, what are the high points and what are the low points in my life? And uh, how did I feel that? And I think if we try to rest on our success and think it's all about a one-way uh, street to the top, we're never going to get there. I think we learn much more from the low points. And as we chart that out, we kind of see how we ask questions. How are you feeling at that time? What was going through your mind? And people that lose their jobs, Tom, honestly, it may be because they needed to go in a different direction in their own careers. Oftentimes, this opens the door uh, to looking at things differently rather than think, 
look, I'm on a straight track to the CEO's office. Maybe that's not what I want to do with my life. And maybe I want to go in a different direction. And it forces us to do that. Whereas if we're just on the promotion track, uh, we aren't, we don't take time to reflect and do that. And it does force a high level of reflection and introspection. And I think you can't get there without doing that. Well, we're going to come back after the break and talk some more about uh, self-reflection. We're with our guest mentor, former Medtronic CEO, Bill George, who has just written a guide for emerging and current leaders on how to reach their full potential. Go to our website, thementorsradio.com, and click on list of shows to listen to our past guests, including Ram Sharan, Dolores Hart, Rich Cargard, and Harold Burson. This is Tom Laurie, and you're listening to The Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with Bill George, the former CEO of Medtronic and now Harvard B-School Executive Fellow. We're talking about one's true north and leadership. Remember, you can also listen to this show or any previous show via podcast and iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, Google, and more on any device, anytime. Subscribe at TheMentorsRadio.com. So, Bill, in the last segment, we're talking about reflection. And one of the things um, we encourage uh, people to do when they're going through a transition, uh, along with what you've recommended, uh, there are things available where they can test themselves. And we're a big fan of StrengthsFinder 2.0 because you get a printout and they can they can use it in interviews and whatever. But you listed a number of other things. And very quickly, talk about the resources that are available uh, to people to help them sort out a little bit more about their profile, what they're good at, and so on. Well, there's uh, things like uh, the California Psychological Inventory and the Myers-Briggs. These are fairly standard tests a lot of people have. Uh, I actually think the StrengthsFinder was a breakthrough because I uh, I failed uh, uh, people fixing my weaknesses for a couple of decades with before I went to Medtronic uh, because I was afraid they're going to take away my strengths. And uh, I really believe that we should play to our strengths. Uh, I, there are things I can do well. I would not be good at designing a defibrillator or a rocket ship, I can assure you. So you have to decide, where am I really good? And when you do that, you're going to find your sweet spot. And I find that many people are not in their sweet spot in the roles they're in. And a sweet spot is defined as when you're playing to your greatest strengths and you're highly motivated. You have to have both of those qualities. You have to be motivated about the, the work you're doing and, and use your strengths. And I think you can build on those strengths to build them out and take on a lot more responsibility uh, as long as you're doing that. But if you're a marketing whiz, I don't think you should try to to be a chief financial officer. I think you ought to stick with things that you're really good at and that sweet spots. No different than a, an athlete on a sports team. You need to do what you're the best at and then surround yourself with people that uh, have qualities you don't have. There are people that knew medicine much better than I ever did uh, at Medtronic, and we needed them, or medical doctors and, and other people. We had engineers who are much smarter than I was. We need those people around us. Yeah, Clifton, who developed that, uh, he started on a journey of finding out why people were successful, and he found out the ones that were successful doubled down on their strengths. But you having, you were at Honeywell. I spent some time at Honeywell. I don't know if we were there at the same time. And then I went on to another company, and I remember performance reviews. The first five minutes was about what you did good, and the last 55 minutes was about what you were doing wrong. And uh, Clifton turns that around to talk about where what we're really good at and making sure in managing people or leading people that we we uh, push work their way that uh, capitalizes on those strengths as well. 
Uh, maybe you want to comment on that. It's not just knowing our strengths, but we got to get our bosses to make sure that they're uh, using us in that way. Exactly. And I've learned, Tom, that uh, your strengths and weaknesses are two sides of the same coin. Heads, it's you're playing to your strengths. Tails, you're playing to your weaknesses. But I think if you take away that coin, then you, you take away your strengths as well. So, But on the other hand, if you accentuate your strengths too much, uh, it brings out your weaknesses. Like, for instance, I can get a lot of things done. I keep, can keep 50 balls in the air and keep them all going. But at the same time, if I take on too much, I get very impatient. And that brings out one of my greatest weaknesses of being impatient. So I think it's important that you balance uh, those strengths with some reality and uh, and recognize it can thrust you into a weak spot. And that's where I think you're not going to change your characteristics. In fact, I became a much better leader when I accepted my weaknesses. It took me a while to realize sometimes I'm too blunt and offend people. Sometimes I'm impatient. Sometimes I'm just moving so fast that people can't keep up with me. And so uh, I had to slow down and look at those things. And that does require a thing you're talking about earlier is reflection and introspection. And uh, I think every day I take 20 minutes uh, uh, to meditate. Now, you may do something else, but I think you need to take at least that much time to reflect. Uh, did I put the immediate, bef- the immediate for the important? We need to focus on the important things on life. Uh, at the same time, was I focused on things I really love to do? How did I show up as a leader? Was I true to my values? Ask yourself those questions every day. Uh, don't just do your task list. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We are with best-selling author Bill George about his latest book, True North, Emerging Leader Edition. On the refl- So 6 o'clock in the morning is what I call the sacred hour. I've been doing it for 30 years. Good. Wonderful. Uh, and I do a lot of journaling. Uh, Wonderful. Get, get it out. There's something about the power of putting something on paper. Now, you go on to talk about crucibles and the importance of crucibles. And as I've uh, gotten older and met a lot of people, uh, most of us have had a crucible or two along the way. Uh, could you talk about the importance of crucibles and the value of crucibles in leadership? I think that's the, Tom, that's the real test in your life when you face a difficult time. We all do this. There, there are mountains we climb and there are valleys we fall down into. And I think the real test is when you're down in that valley is to say, who am I and what did I do wrong? It's easy to say when things don't go your, your way, you lose your job, you lose your family, something didn't go your way to blame other people. That's never gonna get you there. But I think sometimes in that difficult time, you can find a pearl that will lead the way to what's really important in your life. And uh, maybe, as I said earlier, maybe you're working in the wrong job in the wrong place, or maybe you're going about it the wrong way. That's when you really learn. You don't learn when you're successful. I played college tennis when I won a match. I (laughs) I wasn't as good as I thought I was. When I lost is when I really had to assess my own uh, failings and where what I had done wrong, and then come back and, and make some changes. And so I think that's critical that you take that time as you do at six o'clock in the morning. It's a very good time to uh, do some reflection. And early in life, you had suffered some significant losses, your mother and your fiance. Could you talk a little bit about how that changed you and what that brought into your life? Well, very early in my life, uh, my father wanted me to be a leader that he said, son, I want you to make up for my failures. And uh, so I was the kid that tried too hard to become a leader. And I lost seven elections in a row in high school and college. And I had to do a lot of reflection at that time. And that was a real crucible for me because I, who am I and what am I doing here? Maybe I wasn't caught up with this at all. 
but I did come back and, and lead a lot of organizations, both at Georgia Tech and at Harvard Business School. So I came out of there and I went to work for the U.S. government in the Department of Defense, had a great job. I was loving it. Four months after I arrived, my father called to tell me that my mother had died that morning. And I'm an only child of older parents, and I was extremely close to my mother. My father traveled all the time. I was very close to my mother, and I was just really devastated by her loss. And uh, it really, you know, I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. And it, she was such a good person. It caused me to think, well, why are we here on life? What's it all about? Well, uh, I came back to my mother's death and because uh, I said, well, that's in the natural order of things. Uh, and uh, I fell in love, got engaged, be married to a woman who's living a few blocks from us in Washington. It was from Georgia. And uh, and we got engaged, be married. And uh, she, I remember talking to her three weeks to the day before the wedding. She is back home in Georgia getting ready for the wedding. And uh, the very next morning, her parents called to say that she died that morning uh, suddenly. It was later diagnosed with a malignant brain tumor, a glioblastoma. And I was just really torn apart by this because it really caused me, I'm a person of faith, but it really caused me to challenge my faith. And what answers do I have? And I realized a lot about life, that I was moving too fast and that, uh, you know, we really have to slow down and say, what's really important in our lives? And people are out of our, and leadership is really about relationship with people. And really to reflect on those two deaths, if you will, over time to say, what do I want out of life? And what I really want out of life are long-term relationships where I can help other people. And that became, if you will, my the mission for my my and my purpose for my leadership. It's kind of a paradox today with all this technology to save time. No one has any time. <laughs> yes. And we're spending all our time on Twitter chasing the latest story or uh, or Facebook or something like that. And we're not. That's right. We, but you have to discipline. People say, I don't have time to go meditate. I don't have time to go pray or to take a long walk. I said, really? You don't have time in a 24-hour day. You need to take the time. And you'll find that you're a much better leader if you do. You're much more thoughtful to other people. Hey, you can delegate a lot of that work that you keep giving to other people. And uh, so why don't you do it? And uh, I think it is a paradox. And we're going to be back in a few minutes with our guest mentor, former Medtronic CEO, Bill George, who is sharing his perspective on leadership in the 21st century. Remember, you can listen live to our Saturday broadcast anywhere in the world by going to San Francisco, 860 The Answer. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with Bill George, the former CEO of Medtronic and now Harvard B-School Executive Fellow. We're talking about the importance of leading with our hearts, not just our heads, in the 21st century. So, Bill, as we go on, we're kind of rolling through the book with some of your own stories, is that one of the things that's always uh, impressed me, and I tried it once, and we it worked for a couple of years, but it wasn't sustainable, is what you call your True North Group. And you've, how many years, first of all, tell us about the True North Group, how many years you've been doing this, and then you've got the uh, Couples Group as well. Tell us about that. Tom, uh, back in 1974-75, uh, I had gone to a, a retreat. Uh, actually, it was a retreat on uh, on Christian love, and came out of that. And a group of six of us that had 
had gone to that that some had gone to that session for three days or so, decided to start meeting. And honestly speaking, you won't believe this. We've been meeting weekly every Wednesday morning from 7.15 to 8.30 uh, for the last uh, 47 years. Wow. And uh, and uh, it's been one of the most meaningful things in my life. We talk about the only reason it keeps together is because we talk about real substance. We talk about real issues in life, uh, about friendships and about legacy and about crucibles and about difficult times. And we're there for each other when we go through health problems, as some of the guys are right now. We go through personal problems of losing your job or whatever it is, having struggles in your own family. Uh, and this having a group of people with intimate discussions. I tell everyone you have to do this because there, there's you just need people you can really open up and say say anything to. And I we have total confidentiality. We've never had a violation. Total trust. Then in 1983, we formed a couples group, a group of us uh, that meet monthly. We still do. We got a meeting coming up uh, next Sunday at our home. Uh, eight of us, and uh, actually one passed away, so we're down to seven. And we've traveled all around the world. We've been to Israel, to the Holy Lands. We've been to Norway. We've hiked in Switzerland three times. We go to Colorado. So it's been an amazing group and uh, to be there for each other. And it's just a great joy in our lives for my wife and me to have such a group. So for somebody in our audience that would like to form, and this could be for anybody, whether you're in a company, a company executive, nonprofit, truck driver, this is a this is a good thing for all of us. But tell us a little bit about how one could go about putting a group together and same kind of people, same values. What what are some of the as I said, we started a group out here and it lasted a couple of years and kind of and I, and I think part of it had to do with the difference in values, but that's a whole nother issue. So what what is your thoughts about if you were to help somebody put a group together? Actually, I would say values are the issue, Tom. I think you want to find a group of just two or three of you to start out and uh, and get together and talk about what how you would like to come together. And I think you do need to share common values. You can be in totally different fields, different professions, uh, different backgrounds. Uh, but the important thing is that you share a common set of values, uh, because if you don't, it probably won't work. And then you can add two or three more and get up to six. We had one time our group had eight and we had one person, two people passed away. But uh, to me, that's a good number. And then set a fixed meeting time and a fixed meeting place. So you meet in the same place every week or every month, uh, and it's confidential. I think it needs to be private, not a restaurant or something like that. We tried that. It didn't work. And I think that's really important. And then the key to the whole thing is have a program. And we actually put out a card at the start of every year so you know you've got the program for two weeks coming up in March or coming up in June. And uh, you can prepare for those weeks. And uh, uh, the, the guys take it pretty seriously and to put real substance, oftentimes sending out a reading uh, or a series of questions or the topic in advance. And I think those are all things that get people the glue because we're just talking about current events. On the other hand, there are times we have to suspend the program. Somebody's going through a significant health crisis, a significant personal crisis uh, that we just talk about that. And uh, because you're there for each other, we all need support in our lives and we need to have support teams around us. And I think this is key uh, when you go through challenges in life. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We are with best-selling author Bill George about his latest book, True North, the Emerging Leader Edition. Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's terrific. And uh, did, did you write a book? Is there a book talking about True North groups? I 
thought I saw that. Yeah, there's a book called True North Groups. I wrote with a colleague, Doug Baker, in the same group. Just This is a very pragmatic, down-to-earth kind of workbook to tell you how do these things work and uh, some exercises to have and things you can do. Uh, it's a, a very basic book, but uh, it's one that, that helps you how to form a group. And I'd encourage everyone to do this. I think you need this in your life as you go through life. And, you know, our groups obviously been together for a long time, so we, sh- we have shared life histories. We know each other at a deep, intimate level. We know when so-and-so lost their job. We know when so-and-so went through a personal health crisis. And so we're able to, to relate back to that and uh, and really be there for each other. And I would imagine also reinforce your values along the way. It just, uh, I mean, that's one of the things that gets challenged. I mean, your values are your values, but we're all challenged, as you well know, as a CEO. There are these times when you have these decisions you have to make, and neither of the neither of the uh Decisions are good decisions. It's kind of the least bad decision. But I would imagine, did you bring something like that into the group and talk about that to help you work through stuff like that? As long All as the it- time we talk yeah. about it. And let me just say, you know, um, we have very different religious values in our group. We've had people that were non-believers up to people that are deep believers. And it actually foments uh, and fosters a, a deeper conversation. So I'm all for that because we have to be willing to talk about those things. And what do you believe? What's life after death look like? Or what do you? What's life all about? Why, what's our purpose in life? And those are the kind of questions that you know. Where else do you get into those questions? Maybe with your spouse, maybe with your families. Uh, but a lot of us don't have. You can play golf with a group of guys every week, but you don't get into those discussions. So shifting gears just a tad, a very important subject uh, is the work-life balance. Mm-hmm. And what could you say? I mean, that's something a lot of people struggle with. We've got now compared to when you and I were much younger, you have two working people in a in a household and children, and it gets very complicated. Uh, what are your thoughts on the work-life balance? My wife, Penny, and I have always worked. Our two sons and daughters-in-law all have professional degrees, and they work. There's no such thing as perfect life balance. As my mentor, Warren Bennis, says, Bill, you can't just get a perfect scale there. Sometimes you feel like you're working too much. I know when my wife Penny had breast cancer, I was spending a lot of time with her and not as much of Medtronic trying to help her get through this difficult period with chemotherapy and all those things. And uh, But you can have integrity. You know, and integrity means you'll show up as the same person at home, at work, in your personal life, and in your community. There was a time in my life when I wasn't doing that, and I went to... Uh, I was at a session and I came back from that and I said, I don't want to compartmentalize my life. I want to be that same person in every setting I'm in. And to me, that is being right at the core of being integral and having integrity in your life. And if you have that, you'll be a much better leader. And if you can find, if you will, you're spending the pro- a lot of time with your family, your personal life, your community, as well as uh, your work, you're going to be a better leader. You're going to delegate better. You're going to be more reflective. You're going to be better balanced. And so I think people that are kind of, you know, focusing almost entirely on their work, oftentimes they lose their families and they lose a lot of things in life. So I think having that sense of we're going to try to do it all and and uh, it's hard, but if you work really hard at it, you can do it. We'll be back in a few minutes with our guest mentor, former Medtronic CEO, Bill George, who is sharing his perspective on leadership in the 21st century. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio Show. And now, 
Back to the Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with Bill George, the former CEO of Medtronic and now Harvard B School Executive Fellow. We're talking about one's true north and leadership. So we've talked about true north, but for those that haven't read any of your books, what is one's true north? Tom, your true north is your most deeply held beliefs, the uh, values you lead your life by, and the principles you lead others by. And I think if you can get those things clear in your mind and then figure out what are the areas of satisfaction you find in your life, where do you find fulfillment? Not necessarily climbing the ladder of success, but where do you find fulfillment and joy? What motivates you? And I think this takes a lot of deep reflection. And oftentimes it's good to do it with a colleague, a mentor, uh, a coach, or someone with whom you can share and they can challenge you. But that is the key to your true north. It's as simple as that. It's who you are. And see, here's the problem I want to put on the table, Tom. We live in an identity society. So people are identified by their race, their gender, their religion, their national origin, their sexual identity. You know, to me, it's not about that. That's the superficial stuff. Let's get beyond that and find out who are you as a person. And we connect at that level. We don't connect kind of, okay, I'm, I'm this same kind of person. In fact, we connect with people different than we are. Well, I've learned over the years that when you put blinders on, identity blinders, you really lose the essence of a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we tend to make some pretty quick judgments about people only to be proven wrong over time. And if you can uh, learn the essence of a person and going back to what we talked about earlier about what their strengths are and work with those, everybody wins. But a lot of what we've already talked about is laying the found. I mean, this gets back to your book, having a true North group, doing the introspection, all of these things uh, for you to uh, find your true North. I, I mean, that's really what it's all about at the end of the day with what you've been doing and laying out for everyone. I'd like to shift again and talk about uh, the leader as a coach. I've always felt as a manager along the way. I've got, I have a tremendous responsibility to the people who I work with, work for, uh, and the greatest joy in my career, and I, I I know it's probably the same for you, is seeing people go off and do great things. So what, give us some thoughts about the leader as a coach. Well, this is why I love your idea of mentoring. I think we've had the wrong idea of, of leaders for decades. The leader is somebody who directs people, tells them what to do, sits back, and then evaluates them. You know, that's not what leaders do. Today, you want to be a great leader, you have to be a coach. And that's an acronym. The first C stands for care. People need to know you care about them, them, their families, their interests, their lively, you know, what, what's really important in them. And then I think you need to organize them. And what I said earlier is their sweet spot, their greatest strengths and their motivations. And if you can get everyone on the team in their sweet spot, you're going to have a very powerful group of people. And then that's when you have to align them around the clarity of purpose and values. And if you can get everyone aligned, so do the individual's purposes and their values line up with the organizations. I used to say to people at Metrack, we're in the business of restoring life uh, and alleviating pain and healing people from severe disease. Said if that doesn't turn you on, you should work somewhere else. But if you share that, you'll have a great life, I can tell you. So that I think is key. And then I think it's 
good, great leaders challenge you. Any good coach, any good mentor is going to challenge you. You know, Tom, are you bringing us your best game today? You can do a lot better. I believe in you, but you have some qualities. Or do you find a mentor who sees strengths in you you don't see in yourself? I interview a number of people from my Emerging Leader Edition, the new book, uh, that had mentors that brought out qualities and then they didn't even know they had. And finally, I think as a leader, we need to help people. We need to get out and work with them, not just uh, tell them what to do and, and stand back. We need to engage with them and help them be successful to ensure their success. So as a leader and as a CEO, uh, why don't you share with the audience, the what is it, the 30-30-10 rule? Uh-huh. Yes. Well, I, we, we did a study at Harvard and we found out that CEOs, chief executives were spending uh, 72% of their time in meetings, 5% with them, with their employees, with their teammates, and only 3% with customers. I think this is a total disaster. So when I went to Medtronic, I said, I'm going to spend 30% of our time with customers, learning a business, working with them, 30% of my time with employees, and uh, 30% on the business issues. And then uh, we'll leave 10% for external things and deal with the board. But I do think that spending time with your people really matters. And not too many people are spending too much time looking at PowerPoint charts. Well, I, as you know, I uh, maybe forgot. I was with American Hospital Supply for years. And one thing I learned while I was there is the importance of the salesman. Mm -hmm. And I spent a lot of time in the field traveling with the salesman. And boy, did I learn a lot traveling with the salesman and talking to customers. So I, I know that firsthand. There's just a wealth of information. I served, I saw between 700 and 1,000 procedures when I was at Medtronic where I'd gone up, meet the doctor, go with the salesperson, Go in, then go into the actually go into the operating room and watch the procedure. I learned so much that way. But then in between those those uh, procedures, I learned a lot from our salespeople who would tell me the strengths and weaknesses and what I. That's how I learned the business. I didn't know the Medtronic business when I came. That's how I learned the business, and I kept learning about new ideas. And uh, you know, the salespeople were pretty candid, and I appreciate that, and very dedicated. And I know you're a believer in servant leadership, and we've talked about that. Actually, it's a thread that's run through all of the, the uh, our discussion so far. But why don't you hit the nail on the head one more time on servant leadership and the importance of that? Back in when I was at Harvard Business School, we didn't teach anything on leadership. So we formed a group of people from the Harvard Divinity School, Episcopal Theological Seminary, and Harvard Business School to talk about business and Christian ethics. And because we heard time about those things in the classroom. And we brought, I brought, I was in charge one year and brought in Robert Greenleaf, who was then executive at AT&T. Later, he went out and wrote a book on servant leadership. And basically, he said, we're called to serve, then we become leaders. And so we have to recognize, what is our calling to serve? We're not there to get people to serve us. And so I tried to flip the whole, in my new book, Emerging Leader Edition, I tried to flip the whole thing on its head and say, uh, we as leaders are there to serve our people and help them reach their full potential, help them do well. And that's that's our calling. And I think we're all, the reason we are in business or in medicine or in education is we're there to serve. And we get that through our heads. Uh, I think we'll have a lot better lives and we'll be much more successful. Now, in between writing books and other, and what, what, what else are you doing today with uh, your time? What else am I doing? Well, you know, I, I do serve on, I, I aged off some of my corporate boards. I, I'm very committed to several boards and, and we have a family foundation where we're trying to uh, change leadership and change the way medicine's taught and practice. So we're 
focus a lot of time on that. And uh, I try to get out and mentor a lot of people. I talk mentor everywhere from MBAs to CEOs. I have a number of CEOs. A couple of them just called me recently with very tough problems they're having. And who who can they talk to confidentially? So I ensure them. I assure them that they'll have that full level of confidentiality and really understanding that. And I think uh, really trying to focus much more on helping them become moral leaders who are clear about their values, because I think this world has way too many managers and not nearly enough leaders who follow clarity of values and purpose. Well, we're going to come back with the last segment. We're talking to our guest mentor, former Medtronic CEO, Bill George, who's sharing his perspective on leadership in the 21st century. You will find all of our show notes and links to Bill's books at thementorsradio.com. When you're there, make sure you subscribe so you do not miss any of our shows in the future. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio Show. And now... Back to the mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with guest mentor Bill George, former CEO of Medtronic. And this is our last segment. So we want to get into a real important topic, and that is the moral leader, which you talk about in the end of your book. So give us your thoughts. I mean, we seem to be living in a moral vacuum. So moral leadership obviously is uh, in demand. So why don't you give us your thoughts on that? Tom, I wrote an article uh, this fall criticizing business schools for training too, too many managers, over a million managers in the last couple of decades, and not enough leaders. And to me today, you can't be a leader unless you know your moral compass and you have clarity about what that stands for. And we need moral leaders who understand where they're going. Again, what their true north is and are true to their beliefs. Look, they may fail. They may run into roadblocks. But if you're clear about that, you're always going to be able to pick yourself up after you've been knocked down and come back because you believe so strongly in what you're doing. And I think leadership today uh, requires a high level of courage. That's something that's in also in short demand. We certainly see it in the political sector, which I stay away from. But I know a lot of great business managers have no courage. And I think the courage to do the right thing, to put your organization at risk because you believe so strongly, or to walk away from something. One of the principles we had at Medtronic is we would not pay anything that even possibly could smell of a bribe, you know, sending a doctor on a special trip or something like that anywhere in the world. Look, we're doing business all over the world in places that where uh, actually cash bribes are kind of the norm in a lot of places. I hate to say it, but it's true. And we just set that standard. You have to hold to that standard. And frankly, we had to terminate a number of people in other countries that didn't follow, that didn't adhere to that standard. So I think if you have moral clarity and then you have the courage to act uh, from a moral compass, then everyone knows where you stand as a leader. And I'm not trying to be holier than thou, but I think that's so important that you keep that in mind every time you make a decision. So if you do the right thing, I remember when Ken Frazier walked out of Charlottesville, he did that on a deeply held conviction about all people are created equal. And I think if we have that courage to do the right thing, we'll come out so much better. And sometimes people are going to criticize you, but you know, if, if you are on the right side of history and you believe something so strongly, you can pursue it. So back in 74, I went into the international group at American Hospital Supply, and I was part of a task team to turn around, uh, I think, 11 operations 
part of what we found was the corruption, the bribery. Mm-hmm. And we had to bring that back to the home offices. And as you may or may not remember, American Hospital Supply was one of the companies that got yeah. caught up in the federal, uh, the foreign corrupt practices. But I saw that firsthand. And, and and so much of it is common sense as well. And when you think about it, I mean, bribery gets you the business, but there are other uh, legs to bribery that are uh, lead to a lot of dysfunction. Can I just comment on that? I the, One of the biggest mistakes I ever made in my career is I reorganized Medtronic into a global organization from a functional one and promoted someone to President of Europe that joined our organization four years before uh, with a subsidiary organization to President of Europe, a job I'd held with Honeywell. And uh, he was very talented, very, very shrewd. He knew the business extremely well, knew all the customers. He knew how to deliver on the bottom line. And uh, six months after I appointed him, uh, our general counsel comes to my office and he closes the door. I have an open door policy. So I knew something was going on. And he said, Bill, can I call our chief auditor up? And they showed me that this uh, supposed leader had been running a bribery fund uh, on behalf of Italian doctors. And uh, so I had to call him. I called him up and said, hey, you got to fly over here from Belgium. We need to talk on Monday morning. So meet me in my office, eight o'clock Monday morning. Now, look, firing him was the easy thing, even though he contested it and everything and told me I was Navy by business. But, you know, what was the hard thing is I had to go back to our members of our board of directors and our executive and say, I made a big mistake. See, the problem was not with John. That was his first name. Not with what he did, because he'd been doing that all along. It was a problem with me, is I hadn't checked out his values. And I then said, I'm never going to appoint anyone to any key position without first checking out their values. Because one person with bad values can take down a whole organization. And I just think that's critical that you stay true to that. And you have the courage to make the move. I see so many leaders, Tom, that won't fire the jerks in their organization that really are harming people and doing marginal things. Oh, this isn't a bribe. Yeah, it's, I got it. But you know what I mean. And they don't have that clarity of values. So you need to have your moral compass and you have the moral courage to pursue your beliefs and your organizations. Because organizations at the end of the day better stand for something. And if they don't, they're never going to make it. Well, that's it. Thank you very much for your time, Bill. We've been talking with Bill George, the former CEO of Medtronic, and his newest book, True North, Merging Leader Edition. When you uh, want to get a click on the book, go to thementorsradio.com. We'll click you through to Amazon. When you're there, make it easy on yourself and subscribe to future shows. You can listen to us online, any device, anytime on any podcast platform. Join us next week at the same time for the next edition of The Mentors Radio. Until then, this is Tom Laurie signing off for today. Remember to be all you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.